about you, but uh, these messages that God has been putting on my heart have uh, been challenging me each week. And I hope they're challenging you, and I hope that you're um, really thinking about them during the week and uh, praying through them and asking the Lord just to, you know, help you to put these things to practice in your daily life. But um, we've been talking about what the kind of people God wants us to be. And uh, He wants us to be a people that's devoted to Him with all of our hearts. He wants us to love Him with all of our hearts. And He wants us to seek Him with all of our heart. The Lord uh, looks for those kind of people. He's looking for that person, those people who love Him with all that they are. The Lord looks for people who are seeking Him with all their heart. And what does he want to do with those kind of people? He wants to demonstrate his power and his glory through them. And he wants you, and he wants me to be those kind of people that love him with all of our heart. What is, what is it in your life that you love and are devoted to more than you are to the Lord? What is it that you seek more than the Lord? You know, there really ought to be nothing that we do, nothing that we seek, nothing or no one that we love more than the Lord our God. How do we determine that? Well, where do you spend most of your time? What do you spend most of your thoughts on? What do you spend most of your energy on? And uh, a lot of you would say, well, my job. And that's true. That does take a lot of thought. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of uh, motivation. But even in those things, uh, our hearts and our minds can still be directed to God. And God can work in us and through us even in our jobs that they don't become the number one priority in our lives. And we heard a testimony this weekend about, uh, in fact, it's one of our prospective deacons. I may be stealing his glory, but uh, he'll share maybe a little bit more tonight. But uh, just of, of, of what God has been doing in his life and helping him recenter uh, on the Lord his God. And it was encouraging to me to hear what God was doing in his life. I just wanted to, uh, I have things that I want to share with you this morning. But I want us to turn in our Bibles, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 40. There's a lot of these things I want to share with you that I've been reading lately. But I, we're talking about acknowledging our goal that we're looking at this morning is seeking the Lord with all of our heart. That's our goal. Our first goal, remember, was love the Lord our God. That's what we still want to do. Second, seek the Lord with all of our heart. And our strategy to doing that is to acknowledge that He is Lord over all. The term we would use would be sovereign. That means He reigns over all things. And uh, in Isaiah chapters 40, 41, 42, 43, all, all the 40s it seems, that He repeats something over and over again <clears throat> that I want you to, to see. Look at Isaiah chapter 45. To begin with and look at verse 6. The Bible says that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. If you would read in the 40s and those chapters in the 40s of Isaiah, you would hear that phrase repeated time and time again, reminding God's people 
who he is. Why would God have to remind his people who he is? That he is the Lord God. That he is, there's none besides him. That he is in control from the rising of the sun to its setting. Why would he have to remind God's people of that over and over again? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but we tend to forget that, don't we? Sometimes we think we're in charge. We think it's all dependent upon us, that I have to make it happen, and that it has to be a certain way. And so that's why the Lord wants, us, wants to teach us to seek Him. He wants us to acknowledge His sovereignty over all things, that we're not in control here. Hey, there's no government that's in control here. I don't care how strong a government it is. No government rules this world. No government is over all things. No man, no matter how much money or how much power a man gets, he's not in control. You may think, well, another reason we may need to be reminded of this is because we're surrounded by evil. We see so many things going wrong in our world. And how can God be in control when everything seems to be out of control? And we have so much violence, we have so much hatred and division, and the world is in constant turmoil. And there's a hatred against God and against his people, persecuting God's people, and, and even uh, laws being made in our land, but especially in other countries of the world that are outlawing the Bible and outlawing churches and things like that. How can God be in control? How can he be the one and only God and in control from the rising of the sun to its setting? How? Well, none of those things negate God's sovereignty. Because, you see, he still rules over all. How can he allow those things to happen? Well, it's not his perfect will. For he said what his perfect will was. He told Adam and Eve in the garden, I've given you everything that you want. Everything that you need to live and thrive, most of all, I've given you myself. But I've put that tree over there, that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of, what is it, the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and what? Evil. What did God not want them to know? Evil. What did God want to protect them from? Evil. What did the devil tempt them with? Evil. They took that fruit. They saw that it was good for food. It was pleasing to the eyes and, and desirable to make one wise. The devil said, if you take this, you'll be like God. You'll be all-knowing. And they believed the lie. They took the fruit. They ate the fruit. And, and then the knowledge of evil and the power of evil, the power of darkness entered into humanity. And we want to blame God for it. God, if you were in control, you wouldn't let this happen. It's your fault. But God wants to remind his people. And I, I want to turn your attention now to Psalm 73. Boy, this is not at all what I had planned to say, but it obviously is what God wants to say. Turn your attention to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms, by the way, especially the ending. You ever wondered why the good suffer and the evil prosper? Have you ever wondered that? 
David wondered that, or Asaph, who wrote this psalm. He said, verse 3, I was envious of the boastful. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? In other words, they're questioning God's sovereignty. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. In other words, why am I trying to live a good life when it seems like the wicked are getting everything? I've washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak this, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Listen, if you try to figure out why the wicked prosper and the good suffer, you will drive yourself to the loony house. You might as well give it up. You're not going to figure that out. You're not God. Your mind cannot comprehend that. My mind cannot comprehend that, how all this can be happening, yet God is over all. There's things that a finite, limited human brain cannot put the pieces together when God says, back in Isaiah, and I'm going to, you don't have to go back there, I'm just going to read this verse in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand. God knew what was coming. He knows what is coming. From the very beginning, he knew. And so for us to question God and to say, God, who are you? To think you're in control when all this evil is going on. It would drive us crazy. That's what he said. If I would try to understand this, it's too painful for me. But then he said in verse 17, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. That is the end of the wicked. He said in verse 18, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they're brought to desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. This writer is talking about how his heart was in turmoil trying to figure out all this that was going on in his world and how God could be in sovereign at the same time. But he said, I came and I understand that one day those who reject God, those who reject his sovereignty are going to be called to account. They're going to face destruction. They're on a slippery slope sliding quickly to the depths of hell if they continue in their rejection. But here's my favorite part of this psalm, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Verse 25, it's one of my favorite two verses, verse 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. 
You ever feel like that? Your body, your emotions, your mind, your whole spirit, you're just overwhelmed, weak, vulnerable. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God. Listen, when we're talking about seeking the Lord with all of our heart, all those things that we're talking about are true. We need to turn our whole life over to Him. We need to go to God first when faced with a desire, a decision, or a dilemma. But listen, when we're talking about seeking the Lord with all of our heart, we're talking about seeking the Lord. Coming to know Him. To acknowledge Him as Lord over all. To receive Him. So, and, and draw near to Him. To trust Him. To love Him. That's what seeking the Lord's all about. To understand that when we, that He is all we really need. He's all that we really desire. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there's none upon earth I desire besides Thee. How can that be true? Well, when you realize that God is all sufficient. You have loved ones in heaven. I do too. That does not what the psalmist is saying. What he's saying here is there's no one in heaven that can do for me what God can do. That's why I don't pray to saints. That's why I don't pray to Mary. Because nobody in heaven can answer my prayer. I only have one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. And I go directly to him through, and directly to God the Father through him. No one in heaven but you. None on earth I desire besides you. Lord, I love my wife and my family and I love my church, but I don't look to them to meet my, my needs for love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace and mercy and strength and energy and desire and drive. And to do the will of God, I look to God alone. Seeking the Lord with all of our heart. My flesh and heart may fail. That is, I will fail. My body will give way from time to time. I will give in to the desires of the flesh from time to time. My heart will fail in devotion and steadfastness from time to time. But God never fails. He's the strength of my heart and my portion. What does that mean, my portion forever? He's my inheritance. He's mine forever. He's given himself to me and he's moved in. And guess what? He ain't moving out. He's what I need. I, know, I want to seek Him and I want to know Him. He's the one in verse 23 that's redeemed my soul. He paid the price for me. And so as long as I can speak, I want my tongue to talk of all that He's done uh, for me. It's good for me to draw near to God. You know, it's good for you to draw near to God. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about seeking the Lord with all of our heart. He's overall. We can't figure out how all this works together because we're not God. When we try to explain things that we are not told, we get to false teaching. When you try to go beyond, the Bible says, what is written, you end up in false doctrine. We need to stick to what is written. We, you learned in Sunday school, some of you did, the mystery of the gospel. There's a lot of mystery surrounding the gospel. 
It's a mystery that God could love me. It's a mystery that God would allow me into heaven. It's a mystery how if God is super over everything, knows everything before it ever happens, how then does he allow me the opportunity to choose from day to day what I do? How does he then allow me to choose and exercise my will to receive him as my Savior and Lord, to exercise my faith? If he's overall knows how, how, how does that work? That's a mystery. But if you deny either one of those, the sovereignty of God or the free will of man, you're going to end up in false doctrine. And if you deny the sovereignty of God and you say, how can God be in control if all this evil is happening? Either God's not loving or God's not in control. Does that sound like the Bible? Is God loving? Is God in control? Is there evil? Do bad things still happen? Does that negate that God is loving? Does that negate that God's in control? But you see, the devil wants you to take what you can see and compare it with what you cannot see and say what you see is more real than what you cannot see. When the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that which is most important, that which is eternal, is unseen. That which is seen is temporary. So don't trust what you can see. Don't trust what you can feel. And don't trust what you can explain. Did you hear that? Listen again. Don't trust what you can see. Don't trust what you feel. And don't trust what you can explain. Because God supersedes all of that. That's why we have to seek Him. He supersedes our vision. He supersedes our emotions. He supersedes our experience. Our expertise. That's why we must seek him. Turn to him with all of our hearts. He says, I read it again. That they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. God's people had to learn that. And learn, were in the process of learning that from the very beginning of time, Abraham had to learn that. He had to learn that things didn't always go his way. When God told Abraham, I want you to get out of your country and leave your father's house, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. He had to trust the sovereignty of God. He, God didn't lay it all out and, and from A to Z for him. He said, just leave and go. I'll show you along the way. We want it all laid out. We want to know from A to Z before we take step A, don't we? That's not faith. The just shall live by faith. God told him, Abraham, I'm going to make a, a great nation of you. From you all and, and, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'm going to give you more descendants than you could count stars in the sky. I'm going to give you more descendants than you could count sand on the seashore. Abraham's looking around. He looks in the mirror. I guess they had mirrors back in those days. <laughs> He's going, Lord, I'm looking old. In fact, I am old. I'm 100. Where's that descendant you promised me? 
And he said, Lord, Sarah's barren. I go childless. What are you going to give me? You said you were going to give me. When are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? You know, if you go back to read Genesis 15, Abraham says, what are you going to give me for my reward for serving you, for leaving my father's house to go to this country that you said you would? What are you going to give me? You know what God said? He said, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. If I never give you another, another, I'm going to paraphrase. If I were a father speaking that, if I never give you another thing, I'm enough. That's what David said in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What? Can you really say that? Can I really say that in all honesty? Lord, you're enough. I don't need anything else. Abraham had to learn that God was enough. Knowing God, loving God, walking with God, that was enough. And then God's, Abraham, God told Abraham, but yes, I'm your exceeding great reward, but I'm going to give you a son. Sarah's going to have a son. You remember he visited Abraham with those men, those angelic men that came and gave him that message. A year from now, Sarah's going to, you'll have a son. But you know, Abraham got ahead of God. Just like we do. We look around and we wonder how God's going to do this. We know what God's told us he wants to do, but we, we don't trust him for the nuts and bolts of how to do it. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. But he didn't trust him for the nuts and bolts. What did Abraham do that got him into trouble and really got the whole world into trouble and still were suffering uh, from Abraham's mistake? What did Abraham do that, that demonstrated he didn't trust the sovereignty of God? Hagar. Yeah. He slept with his handmaiden, Hagar, because she wasn't barren. And she conceived a child. In those days, if your handmaiden had a child by you, then that was your child. And, and his name was Ishmael. Abraham got ahead of God. He didn't trust God and God's sovereignty. And Abraham had to learn the hard way. And I tell you what, the condition of this world today, a lot of it is because of that mistake way back years, thousands of years ago. The descendants of Ishmael fighting against the descendants of Isaac. The children of the slave woman versus the children of the free woman. Still that battle is raging. And still God's people are making some of the same mistakes. We're not trusting the sovereignty of God. Abraham had to learn that. Moses had to learn it. God put in Moses' heart a desire to free the children of Israel. <clears throat> and um, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. You know the story of Moses and all of that. But um, he was rescued. His mama put him in a basket to deliver him from, from uh, the edict that Pharaoh passed down to kill all the Hebrew baby boys because they were growing so numerous. <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter rescued Moses out of the river, raised him as her own. So she's raised in Pharaoh's court. I mean, he's raised in Pharaoh's court. But then at a, we don't know how old, but probably, well, we know he was about 40 years old when this happened, but probably at an earlier age than that, he began to have a heart for his people, the Hebrews. And he saw how the Egyptians were mistreating them. And I believe he knew from an early age that God was calling him to deliver, to do something to help these oppressed people. 
But we don't have any record in the Scripture. We don't know, but we don't have any record in the Scripture that says that Moses began to seek the Lord about what to do or how to do it. But one day he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and so he took matters into his own hands like we typically do. And what did he do? He killed the Egyptian. Then the word got back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. So what did Moses have to do? Run for his life. And then he became a a sheep herder in the backside of the desert, miles and miles away from where his people were for 40 long years. And God had to teach him, break him, mold him and shape him, teach him that his way was not the right way. One day God appeared to him in the form of a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. And God called him and, and empowered him and sent him back to Pharaoh. And, and God used him to deliver Israel out of the hand of Egypt. But Moses had to learn all along the way, God is over all. When he had to go back to Pharaoh and say, here's what God, or had to go back to the Israelite people whom he uh, left. He said to God, he said, God, they're not going to believe that you sent me. He was doubting the sovereignty of God. How are they going to believe you sent me? God gave him some signs. Well, Lord, I, I can't talk. I stutter and I stammer. He was doubting the sovereignty of God. Moses, who made your mouth? I'll give you the, the things to speak. And then when he stood before Pharaoh and he told him, says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh didn't let him go. Moses had to learn to trust the sovereignty of God because 10 times Moses went to Pharaoh and 10 times, well, nine times Pharaoh said no. And then the 10th time he said yes, but then he changed his mind. God, Moses had to learn to trust that God was in control of the circumstances that he found himself in, even a wicked pagan Pharaoh. And see, you and I have to learn those same lessons. Yes, we live in a fallen, broken, evil, despicable, sinful world, but God is still in control. And we can seek Him. Seek Him. Seek His will. Seek Him for the nuts and bolts of how to do this life. How do we seek God? And that's what we've been talking about. How do we, what is our action plan? We talked about some of those things. we got to give our lives to the Lord. Trust Him with our whole life. We go to God first, as we spoke of last week, when we're faced with a desire or a decision or a dilemma. We have some other things I'm going to share with you later, but I wanted to remind you today that God says to us, His people, I am the Lord. There is no other. I want them to know from the rising of the sun to its setting. Now, in, in that reference, I believe he's talking about the whole earth. But in your, for your situation, all day long, all night long, God is God. What are you facing tomorrow? Some of you don't know. Some of you do know and, and you're dreading it. What are you going through now? What have you been through in the past that you're still clenching a fist at God, blaming God for? Is God God or is He not? See, the choice has to be yours. You have to declare that. Yes, God, you are God. And if you are God, if you are who you say you are, and indeed He is, 
then he's worth trusting. He's worth following. Because you see, in the end, and you stand before him, he's not going to ask you about what so-and-so did or didn't do or what your past was like or what opportunities you may have or have not taken advantage of. Or You're going to stand before God and give account for one thing. What did you do with Jesus Christ, His Son? What did you do with Jesus Christ, His Son? See, in His sovereignty, God saw all this evil. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. That was, Jesus was not God's, oops, they messed up, I better send Jesus. No, it was plan A all along. Why? Because God knew that when I give man free will, I know what's going to happen. But I'm going to give them all an opportunity to be saved. I'm going to give them all the opportunity to trust Christ. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to, I am going to crucify him. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the Jews. Isaiah 53 says this was the Lord's doing. He's the one. God the Father allowed his son to go through all of that. Why? Because of the evil in this world. You see, God didn't just sit back and cross his arms and watch it happen. He sent and became personally involved in it. When God stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, it was one of the most darkest, most evil times of human history. Rome was in control. It was the Roman Empire at that time. Some of the most barbaric people that had ever lived. They were oppressive. The, Jew, the religious system was in turmoil. Nobody could agree on anything. They were backbiting and devouring one another in the, in the synagogue, in the temples, in, the, in their Judaistic society. Jesus, God stepped into that. Came to, in the midst of all this evil, to save and redeem evil people. And yes, evil people rejected him. Evil people didn't believe who he was. Evil people said to him, if you are who you say you are, then fix all these problems. And Jesus didn't do it. You know, Jesus healed a bunch of people, but he didn't heal everybody. Why not? Jesus never left the confines of the boundaries of his homeland. Why not? There were a whole bunch of other people outside of Israel that he could have gone and ministered to and touched. Why was he only here for three years? But what he did do was what we all needed. He didn't come to heal the sick. He didn't come to squash all evil. He didn't come to add knowledge and power. None of those were our basic problems. He came to pay the price for sin on our behalf. That's why he came. Stepped into evil. And he conquered it 
by paying the price for its inception, sin. And that all those who place their faith and trust in Him are delivered from sin and evil. Doesn't mean we're rescued from it now, but we will one day. Is God sovereign? Is God loving? Yes, He is. He demonstrated that in in His Son, Jesus Christ. He stepped in. Now, you go back and study the, the lineage of Christ. You say, that's kind of boring. So and so begot, so and all the lineage of Christ. You go back and look at those people. And you see the sovereignty of God. Rahab, for example, was in the lineage of Christ. Rahab. How'd that work out? Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed God. God's purposes weren't thwarted because they disobeyed Him. Moses died. God raised up another leader named Joshua. Joshua leads them to the Jordan River. Across the Jordan River, they face their first obstacle, Jericho, a walled city. They sent spies to that walled city, and there's a woman, a prostitute named Rahab that helps these spies. And she was saved because of her faith in the God of Israel. And she became one of the mothers in the lineage, the ancestry of Jesus Christ. That's the sovereignty of God. He can take broken, messed up people and weave them into his perfect plan. See, you're not beyond God's reaching. You're not beyond him. He's taken you, many of you, and he's saved you and he's redeemed you. And one day, Rahab didn't know that. She wasn't alive when Jesus was born. She didn't know she was going to be part of the ancestry of Christ. Only when she got to heaven, only when Jesus came, did she see and put the pieces together. We can't fathom all that God is doing with our little life. But you've got to trust him. You've got to seek him. You've got to follow him. Will you do that? Will you? Quit making life all about your own pursuits, trying to make more money, trying to have more time off, trying to do this or do that. What is your passion? What is it that drives you? It ought to be God. You know, I say, Brother Lee, you're just saying that because you're a preacher. Well, maybe I'm a preacher because that's what God called me to do. But I'm telling you, it's the way to live. Will you join me? God wants us as a church to be a people that seeks him with all of our heart. And let me tell you, when we do, and as we do, the joy in your life will grow exponentially. You'll discover him. Jesus said, God said, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Have you really found him yet? Have you really found him yet? You say, well, I'm saved. Yeah, but have you discovered, are you discovering more and more of who God is and the joy and the love and the mercy and the grace and as he's filling your life and are you seeking him? Would you bow with me this morning?
Would you just simply ask the Lord to help you to seek Him with all your heart? Ask Him even to help you with the desiring that. God, give me a desire to seek you with all my heart. Ask him to help you to trust his sovereignty, that he's in control, that that which you're worried about and stressed out about, he's already got it figured out. And the reason you're stressed is because you're trying to figure it out instead of just trusting God and seeking him. Your flesh, your heart will fail. You will not do this perfectly as I do not do it perfectly. But God's sovereign even over you. As his child, he's still the strength of your heart. He'll still be your portion forever. Father, would you please help us Help us to want to. Holy Spirit, don't let us get away from this. We wake up tomorrow, maybe we even go home and eat lunch and take a nap and forget all about this. Lord, don't let that happen. Don't let the devil steal the seed of your word. Because you promised that your word would go forth and not return to you void, but it would accomplish everything for which you sent it. I pray that for me and I pray that for everyone here. That we truly would know you and love you and give our whole life to you because, Lord, you're what life is all about. Lord, if there's anyone here today that still is hanging on to unbelief for one reason or another, God, only you can penetrate their darkness. Only you can penetrate their defenses. Only you can penetrate the lies and the deceit that they're believing from the devil. But I pray that you would today. And grant them the faith to believe in you. And to ask you to forgive their sin and save them. And to trust you with all their heart because of what you've done for them through Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in his name. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we give the invitation, remember...